0: Hello and welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour, the weekly bridge to the future of the Piano Tech community. I'm David Anderson.
1: And I'm Ethan Janney. And we're here to ask great questions and then we'll shut up and listen to some of the authorities, experts, and most outstanding personalities in our little world of pianos.
0: So put on your best set of headphones and let's get started.
2: So uh, I'm, I'm sitting here at my my gorgeous Schimmel K280. Beautiful. But uh, wow. we know that it's going to sound terrible. If if I it is it's a it's a sight to see. It, it's a it's a really wonderful instrument, uh, and it sounds even better than it looks. But not over Zoom. Not so much. So uh, <laughs> uh, Alan and I prepared a few short audio. Uh, or video excerpts of some of my performances, just to give you a quick overview. So uh, this first one is an excerpt from a Mozart sonata, um, and it's on David Rubenstein's uh, hand-built eight-foot piano. I don't know how many of you know David and his pianos, but um, he's built two pianos, one of which is 12 feet long, and it's and is just a, a monster. Uh, the, the eight foot piano is an equally beautiful instrument and um, it's particularly well suited to classic era repertoire because it has a very a very bright clear clean sound that I love. Uh, so here's a little bit of Mozart on David Rosestein's piano
1: Beautiful.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Oh,
3: go ahead, Alan. Uh, that video was shot in David Rubenstein's shop. So you might have noticed some rib stock on the shelves in the background, nice ambiance. Um, <laughs> You'll see Danny's studio at some point, the studio he's sitting in right now. But, uh, and there's another video that was shot in Richard Davenport's shop. So for those of you who are shop hounds, uh, your eyes probably wandered.
2: <laughs> uh, I haven't played David's piano in a couple years, but wow, it's, it's so much fun to play that piano. Especially to be able to play, and that's actually one of the things I love about my schimmel too, to be able to play that first chord um, on, a, on a modern piano and not have it sound just totally muddy. Uh, it's it's uh, such a treat. Oh, this next clip, this is a, a really rough live video of a piece by Mike Garson. This is his homage to Ligeti. I don't, know, I don't know if the video was shaky for everyone, but you could hear it clearly, at least. That's more typical of the music that I tend to play. I I, I tend to mostly work with uh, with living composers. Um, let's see. I think the next two pieces are also examples of those. Here's an excerpt from a piece by David Lang, um, and this was recorded as, uh, as part of that uh, documentary film that Ethan mentioned earlier. American Grand. Uh, this was, um, uh, Alan, what was the model of this Steinway? I don't think it was a B. I feel like it might have been a little smaller.
3: Steinway A3. And Ed Whiting, who was at this meeting, uh, has heard this piano and, uh, and had nice things to say about it. So, anyway, you listen for yourself and, and judge the piano. And very beautiful piece. And, of course, wonderful performance. Different character than the other pieces. Yes.
2: Yeah, I don't know if it's wow. still that,
0: yeah. that piano sounds gorgeous.
2: That connection, but that video was all. I am convinced that that piano, by the time uh, Alan and Richard and that whole crew that worked on it was done with it, I'm convinced that that piano was better than when it was new. <laughs> uh, I don't think that should be a yes. surprise to anyone. Uh, oh, is that
0: is is that a, um, is that a, <laughs> is that a is that a a three was restored by Richard and his gang.
2: Yes. yes, that, that oh is the
0: God. piano
3: that was restored in the movie American Grand. And wow. Danny's featured in that movie. We had a couple, several pianists come and play it. Danny was one of them, and that was shot on that day.
0: And who did the final preparation oh. for it?
3: Master Davenport.
0: Oh, my God. And I'm not being facetious. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're not. Jesus. It's beautiful. That's, that sounds beautiful.
2: And then there's one more I video excerpt. One more short this is, uh, this is an example of a project, it's part of a project I've been doing for over a decade now. I'm also a percussionist. And uh, years ago, I started approaching composer friends of mine and asking them to compose for this ridiculous setup that I concocted, where I surround myself with the piano with percussion instruments. Uh, and this is an excerpt from a piece by David Johnson, who recently retired as the uh, percussion instructor at CalArts. And he's uh, also a pianist. So I knew that he would write me a, a really great piece. Uh, This is just a Yamaha CF3S, I think, um, at Red Cat in downtown Los Angeles. That's all just by way of introduction. Thank you, Alan, uh, for reminding me that I need to let people know that I, I do, in fact, play the piano. <laughs> but that's not, I'm not really I, here to talk I, about that. I know my, that, but I wanted everyone work. else to know it. Uh, and, and not only
3: that, but as Cy Schuster pointed out in the chat a few moments ago, this is the first time we've heard a piano in this series. So, oh. kind of <laughs> yeah.
2: so uh, alright, so Alan asked me as an exercise to uh, make a List of every piano I've ever had. And you know, it's been a while since I'd really sat down and stopped to think about that. So, uh, and then, and Alan always thinks of things that I wouldn't have thought of. Then he also said, you know what, it would be great if we had photos. And I managed to find photos of almost all of the pianos that I've had. So um, my very first instrument, was uh, a digital piano. This was a Techniques digital piano. I think it was probably about 76 keys. This was like cutting edge in 1987, which isn't saying much by today's standards, right? Um, Alan's gonna pull up a photo of this. There we go. That is me at age probably seven or eight with my piano teacher (laughs) and my Techniques digital. (laughs) I think that was after my Suzuki book one recital. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, As is still the case today, oftentimes when family a kid who wants to try out piano lessons, it's a more economical decision to think about buying a keyboard or digital piano first. But um, by a year after purchasing that piano and, and taking lessons, it was clear, clear that I was really serious about the piano. And um, so this, I, the way I actually got my first acoustic piano though was kind of by chance. Again, I, was, I couldn't have been more than eight or nine. Um, I was riding my bike around the block with a friend. And uh, we came upon, you know, I've recently realized that there are um, weird, like, uh, regionalisms. We call them tag sales in Western Massachusetts, but it's like a garage sale. <laughs> uh, I stumbled onto a tag sale uh, at a neighbor's place and there was some kind of electronic organ in the front yard and i was kind of like noodling on it probably playing like bach minuet or something and they said oh you play piano why don't you come inside we've got this uh, baby grand piano for sale and that's a photo of the piano that i bought at the tag sale from the neighbor um you know, I unfortunately I don't know the brand anymore, um, but I think it was it was either a Chickering or a related brand. Um, it was a small baby grand piano that belonged to a, a serious music student who had then gone off to college. Um, And this is the piano that I had for the rest of my childhood. Uh, I definitely outgrew this piano though, you know, once I kind of finished the Suzuki books uh, and started playing bigger repertoire, pieces like pictures at an exhibition. I mean, it was kind of absurd to be playing that repertoire on this piano. But shortly after that time is when I left home to attend high school at Interlochen Arts Academy. So that was in 1996. And that began a a decade of being in music schools so that the vast majority of my practicing wasn't done at home. So uh, if we have time later, we might talk a little bit about my experience practicing on pianos at different institutions. Um, But yeah, for a significant period of my life from age, I'd say, you know, 15 through 25, um, the pianos uh, that were my own pianos were less important than the pianos at schools. That's for sure. Um, So the next piano that, came into my life then was um, after growing up in Western Massachusetts, my mom ended up moving down to Nashville, Tennessee for a job. Uh, we wanted to get a piano, but only had room for an upright. We ended up with this 52 inch Boston upright. Uh, at the time I was comparing, um, you know, Boston, Kauai, Yamaha. I definitely noticed differences. There were appreciable differences between, you know, the comparable uh, Yamaha 52 inch upright, But at the time it was a significant price difference. I think it was like difference of $4,000 or more. So while I definitely appreciated the difference, I didn't feel like I, we couldn't justify spending that extra money. So this Boston upright was just, you know, basically Canada has at, uh, at the new family home when I was home on, you know, summer vacations and other school breaks during college. Um, and that piano, that photo is actually at, uh, one of my students now in Los Angeles. That's where that piano ended up when I no longer oh, wow. needed it. <laughs> um, okay. So, oh, Alan, did you want to chime in? Oh, that was David. Okay. Uh, um, no, keep, so, keep rolling. All right. So, uh, fast forward to 2006, which is when I finished my last, uh, my last degree, my MFA from Cal Arts. I decided to give LA a try. I wanted to see if I could uh, make a teaching and performing career based in LA. Um, but you know, fresh out of grad school, obviously didn't have a ton of money. But for the first time in a decade, really needed to have my own piano. Um, and I knew that I, you know, I couldn't have the piano of my dreams. But I, I needed to have something decent. And um, stumbled onto this uh, cute little young. Ch- Thing, which, um, you know, it doesn't look so bad in this picture, but the reason this piano found its way to me is that the case had was really, really dinged up. It had been in a hotel. This was a, a five foot two uh, baby grand that used to have a player system on it. And it was in a hotel lobby. Uh, I'm guessing it was built in the eighties or the nineties. Um, and it had been traded in at the piano dealer and it was like in the back room because they were too embarrassed to have it on the showroom floor. Um, but it was just perfect for me because I don't care what the damn thing looks like. They'd done a decent job uh, regulating the action and, and voicing the hammers. and you know it was pretty comparable to the practice room pianos that I'd been accustomed to playing. so and I got it dirt cheap so uh, that was great. Um, but thankfully my situation changed a year or two later and I was in a position to you know think about getting a, a good instrument a really good instrument an instrument that i could have hopefully for many years maybe even for the rest of my of my life and that's when i ended up with uh yamaha c6 mm-hmm. um the c6 is a piano that i was familiar with because um i had uh the opportunity when i was an undergrad at hampshire college i, was, I had the opportunity to pick out a new piano for our recital hall small recital hall and um, had picked out a C6 that I was really happy with. Um, so uh, this is the piano that I um, that I ended up with. I, I in general have had a preference for pianos that aren't Steinways. <laughs> um, and okay. uh, at the time that I got this, this Yamaha, I I had not had a chance to play very many um, of the European pianos. Uh, and regardless, those were all way out of my price range. Um, There happened to be two C6s at the piano store that I lived like half a mile from. So I tortured the good folks at Keyboard Concepts in Sherman Oaks by uh, riding my bike uh, over to the store several times a week for for a good month or so, playing the two C6s and kind of trying to decide uh, if I had a strong preference for one over the other, considering the C7 and again, you know, like when I settled on that Boston upright, when I was comparing the C6 and the C7, obviously I could I could feel and hear a difference uh, in, in the base between the C6 and the and the C7. But the price difference was very difficult to justify. And also living in a small studio apartment, um, the extra six inches or so <laughs> wasn't terribly practical. So uh, the so the so I settled on the C6, and then it was just a matter of choosing between the two that they had in stock, which was a, a nice luxury that's not always the case and you know i I really want to give uh Dennis Haggerty from Keyboard Concepts the the credit he deserves for sealing the deal with me as a uh you know like i said i was pretty much fresh out of grad school still getting myself established and this was a huge purchase for me i was extremely anxious about going into debt to buy an instrument and i really wanted to get this right he sat me down and he said look Danny you know, I, we, we negotiated a price, but I was still kind of wavering because it was an overwhelming amount of money to be spending. He said, look, Danny, I promise you that we are going to refer enough students to you to make the monthly payment on this piano. And they did. And um, I they deserve a lot of credit for that. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah, yep. this is right on. This is a piano that Allen uh, extensively over the years. I really, I babied this piano. I I maintained it. I've been quite spoiled having Alan work on my pianos because um, I've really maintained my home piano at you know like a concert level. Um, Alan, do you want to say anything about some of the work you did to the Yamaha, or should should I just uh, forge ahead? Oh no, please, of
0: piano? Alan, please.
3: Sure, sure. So 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 just briefly, I, I, after Danny had this piano for a few years, I, I did what I call a, a top stack regulation. So that's going to involve filing the hammers going through the hammer pinning to make sure the friction is spot on, um, travel square, or what people call burning the hammers uh, or um, aligning the hammers to the strings, uh, and then going over the back check regulations. So not dealing with keyframe uh, keys, the, the, the key level, key dip, keyframe bedding was all good. So this was focused mainly on, on sound and, and uh, I would say regaining the original function, but as piano technicians know, we are often surpassing original function when we do those things at a high level. And then several years later, we did, we did a thorough regulation, which included everything. And, uh, and that was the last work we did before Danny moved on from his piano.
0: And you, 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 you refined, let off and drop and all that. At that first oh, yeah, time, yeah. or at that second. Yes. Time.
3: Yeah. When I say top stack, I mean everything in the top stack's getting love. Awesome.
0: <laughs> awesome. Pause a little bit and talk to Danny.
2: Getting the love
0: about <laughs> about what you love about a well-regulated piano. This is really good for piano technicians to hear from a world-class artist. What do okay. you love? What what? What, what happens when you roll up to a piano you don't know and it's like, ah, uh, butter?
2: You know? Well, first of all, that doesn't happen very often.
0: <laughs> so when it's shocked. <laughs> that's, that's what I want to know. How, when it does, how I know. often does it not happen, you know?
2: and i want to express my appreciation to the piano technician uh, if they're around um, no what what the difference that it makes is that a well-regulated piano allows me to do what i want to do and again i've been really spoiled because having uh, a technician of alan's caliber maintaining my piano is really at a very very high level um, i'm accustomed every day to playing an instrument that really allows me to do what i want to do so it's it's Uh, this is a little different than the question you asked but since more often my experience is um, the piano that i'm performing on is a noticeable step down in terms of its condition compared to the piano i practice on um what's very frustrating is um is that i i know what i'm capable of doing and i know what the piano should, should be capable of doing and i'm constantly distracted during performance because i'm having to i mean it's every pianist's job i don't want to whine I don't know. We love pianists. Love whining. <laughs> it's every pianist's job to adjust to whatever piano we are playing at the time and whatever room okay. we're in. Um, but yeah, it's it's frustrating when uh, when the when the piano doesn't respond the way that you want it to to actually uh, do all the subtle and nuanced and complex things that we spend hundreds of hours practicing. Um, so okay. when I when I do encounter a piano that's, that's in excellent regulation and it allows me to do that, that makes it much easier for me to hopefully get to that like, transcendent state that I really aim to get to when I'm performing. And, um, and, and that is a, a, real, a real treat. It's a rare treat.
0: So <laughs> this is, this is you know, what, I'm sorry, go ahead, Alan. Go ahead, Alan.
3: Oh, okay, um, I didn't mean to step on you there. Um, What's interesting about what Danny just said is, I work for a number of concert pianists and without naming any names, some of them have real dogs, hundred-year-old, worn out when they bought it, American baby grands at home. And then they get to the concert stage and somehow they're able to be surprisingly picky about a piano that's in pretty good shape, but not necessarily 100% optimized. And it always blows my mind how they can do that. Danny's situation is kind of the reverse, he's used to the very refined instrument, and then he has to sort of, uh, you know, uh, slum it sometimes when he's <laughs> on the concert. School. So, little so, different scenario than many pianists encounter.
0: So Alan, how do, you, how do you wrap your head around that? How do you try to explain that? These guys play pianos that are, you know, dogs at their home, and then are like picky and persnickety as my mom used to say about concert instruments how do you explain that
3: um i i don't know but my best guess is they've got a switch you know uh like how how some people act differently around certain other people we're living in times right now where this is very much in the news i won't go into any more specifics but so when they're with their crappy piano they just live with it and they're probably thinking yeah yeah i'm just Moving my fingers around, it doesn't matter that things are uneven, sound uneven, touch, and all that. And when they get to the concert stage, they flip the switch to "I'm a fine concert pianist. I want everything out of this instrument that I can get from the piano, from the presenter, from the piano technician." And that's legit. That's that's not two faced. That's practical. That's you know that's being adaptive. Um, but Danny has an advantage in that it's not only on the concert stage where he can potentially have that transcendent experience. And, you know, Danny, Danny doesn't have money to burn. So when he bought pianos, I think you've all gathered, he knows how to make a deal. And I love that. Cause I'm a real horse trader myself. Um, but it, but at the same time, he, uh, you know, he's willing to spend the money to keep pianos at high level, uh, because he understands the value of it.
0: Oh, yeah. can I, uh,
1: <laughs> take the opportunity now actually we have a question in the chat which is I think relevant to this whole topic and it's kind of around piano technicians communicating with pianists and that's a great opportunity we have in in episodes like this where we have a pianist on so Kevin Clem asked uh, if Danny could talk about the benefits of being a performing and teaching pianist and a piano technician Uh, Kevin is out of school and pursuing both so do you have any thoughts about about that and i think particularly along the lines of communication it'd be interesting to hear your perspective
2: sure i can definitely address that but i should definitely clarify first i'm not a piano technician <laughs> i'm humbled to be in the presence by all of you i'm not a piano technician i have made maybe a little bit more of an effort than some pianists to try to have a deeper understanding of and appreciation for the mechanics of the piano and i've certainly made an effort to learn how to communicate with piano tech and I owe a lot to Alan because when I was a master's student at CalArts, one of my work study jobs was um, being an assistant in his shop, uh, although I didn't go nearly as deeply into that as some of his other assistants uh, have, who, who have gone on to become uh, fully fledged piano technicians. Um, sure. So, yeah, Alan's taught me a lot. And, you know, one of, the things, one of the things I've learned is it's very difficult, surprisingly difficult sometimes to separate out whether something I'm experiencing is a tuning issue or, or a voicing issue or a regulation issue. And I've, I've learned that, uh, that often I'm surprised that something that I'm perceiving as a voicing issue may be more of a regulation issue or vice versa. Uh, and the other thing that Alan has taught me is it doesn't even make sense to, to talk too much about the uh, the regulation and the voicing stuff if the instrument isn't in tune first and foremost so like you know let's establish that that baseline um, certainly in terms of um, in terms of communicating with piano technicians you know for concerts it's it's the rare luxury when I really have the chance to do that I always appreciate the chance to I mean like the best case scenario is I show up and I have time on the piano in the hall for an hour or two like earlier in the day and the piano has already been serviced. Um, So I'm able to get a sense of its condition. And then I know if I know that the the technician is going to have another hour, two hours, three hours, you know, whatever, whatever that is, it gives me an opportunity to, um, to decide what and how much and how to (laughs) communicate to them, any feedback I might have Um, because it, it can almost always be better. So even if I show up and the piano is already in great shape, there are almost always gonna be a few things that I would love to have tweaked. And so when I do have the the chance to to play a piano and then give feedback to a technician who I know is gonna have some time, um, it's very useful to be able to be as specific as possible. And I'm able to be somewhat specific, thanks in large part to what I've learned from Alan over the years. Um, But I'm also sensitive to the fact that Piano technicians, it's irritating, especially because oftentimes the venue or a presenter doesn't give them adequate prep time on the instrument. I mean, this is a whole separate conversation in terms of whether the institution has invested in the long-term maintenance of the piano. But, you know, on the day of the concert, maybe they only give them an hour to do a touch-up tuning before the concert. So I know it's a pain in the ass for the p- Gannis to come with this long list of things. So I, I think I've gotten to the point where I'm pretty good at communicating with the technician um, who's servicing the piano on the day of a concert to be able to say, you know, hey, these are the things that are working really great. These are the things I love. Um, I know you don't have a lot of time, but if, you, if you're able to address, you know, these, these top three you know, bullet points, um, I, I'd be enormously grateful because it would really help me to give a, a better performance. But uh, I always try to be sensitive to the situation the technician is in. They may not have the, the, the time to do everything. So it's helpful to be able to have a, a dialogue.
0: And just real quick, would, would, you, would you describe most of the interactions you have with the concert technicians at these various venues, open and good and nice or, or somewhat adversarial?
2: Um, you know, it's complicated because oftentimes I feel like there's a good rapport between myself and the technician, but sometimes there are institutional politics that get in the way, um, and that can be really frustrating. So one of the things that I have, you know, I'm, I'm a teacher and, and I teach piano students of all levels and one, of you know, I, I, I have learned in the last few years that one of my roles as a teacher and a performer is also teaching people who need to know more about pianos, more about pianos. <laughs> so, unlike a lot of my colleagues, who you know, a presenter may ask them for feedback about the piano, like after the concert. Um, many of my colleagues will be exceptionally diplomatic because they're afraid they're going to like burn a bridge with a presenter, and I'm I'm just not. <laughs> Especially if it was right a on, bad now. experience, um, but. I but, but I try not to be excessively whiny or negative. I try. I I, I assume because more often more often than not, it, it is it is really a matter of ignorance on the part of the the institution that owns and and is in in charge of maintaining the piano. They they just aren't. On- I honestly don't understand. So if I can get someone's attention for even five minutes, and just explain like, okay, so you have a vague idea of what it means for a piano to be tuned, okay, but that's like the tip of the iceberg, right? So let me explain to you a little bit more about how tuning works. And let's talk about what regulation means. And let's talk about what voicing means, you know, and the, you know, if you can at least have a basic understanding of these three things, and then you can get into longer conversations about, you know, having a budget for long term piano maintenance. Um, so yeah, it depends. But I I find I'm usually able to have productive conversations, especially if it's in person. Um, a couple of years ago, I oftentimes most of the concerts I play, they I don't have a written contract. Things are just, you know, agreements are made over over email and by and everything's cool. And I'm mostly working with presenters I already have relationships with, and I already know the piano that I'm gonna be performing on. So at least I have an idea of what to expect. But especially when I'm going into a situation with an unknown, I um, I will definitely ask questions about the piano beforehand. And in situations where I do actually have a written contract, I do have language in the contract specifically about the piano. And, you know, I'm kicking myself. I didn't think to, like, print that out so I could share that. But um, it's uh, it's helpful language that a, a friend and colleague of mine helped develop to to get that conversation started and to let the presenter know, like, hey, this guy is, he, he knows what's going on and he's paying attention. And this is, uh, you know, this is something we need to address before moving forward with all the the rest of the plans. Sorry, I'm rambling on. but <laughs> uh, No, I
0: want to It's great information
2: for us, thank you. I'd
3: like to just step back a a pace or two to a point you made earlier about uh, what I'll call tuning, tone and touch, okay? Someone explained to me a long time ago, if you draw three circles and they overlap each other, those of you with music uh, theory backgrounds know about the circle of fifths. So this is the circle of T's. Quite often when somebody says, Uh, I know Steinway, their practice is when a technician goes to a piano about which someone has a complaint, they say, first thing, tune it. And the client might say, oh, no, the tuning is fine. It's the touch. And they say, we'll get to that. They do the tuning. The person plays the piano and looks up and says, you must have regulated it. And they didn't.
0: (laughs) So it's often
3: a misconception, and it's off by one circle. It's like a subdominant chord of perception if you will you know so you think it's one thing it's the other so you deal with everything and then you see what the piano really is and go from there but that means the resources have to be there the time and the money so please please continue danny and we do have a couple more of danny's piano acquisitions to get through but yeah, we'll continue to talk
2: about that. the next few pianos are not nearly as interesting or consequential um, I did, after I acquired that C6, I did also get a Yamaha console, which um, was mostly a piano I used for teaching. But I also actually, you know, earlier I mentioned about David Rubinstein's piano that I really, really enjoy playing classic era repertoire, you know, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven. All that stuff on that instrument because it has this wonderful clarity. Um, a student of mine had one of these Yamaha consoles, uh, M500, and um, I was really surprised at like how how much like a forte piano it was actually. The action felt a little simpler and a little bit more dramatic, uh, direct and, and the sound was very clear and small and direct and um, so I actually I got this piano toying around with the idea of maybe even like recording an album on it someday I didn't really end up doing that but it was a useful piano this was the only one of my pianos I could not find a photo But this is a photo on the internet of the the same make and model, Um, but nothing fancy about that piano later on I I didn't need it anymore I sold it to a colleague it's at a music school now it has a a loving home. Um, The next piano that uh, was in my arsenal for a few years is uh, on the right of that photo. And that's a Yamaha M2, the Avant Grand, the kind of like upright version of their Avant Grand. Uh, For those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's a digital piano that has, I think, a slightly modified version of the action that they put in their C-series Grands. Um, I have always despised playing on... um, any kind of digital keyboard. Uh, And this thing came along and really kind of blew me away. I mean, it's definitely still not a piano, but it is way, way better to play than any other digital piano I'd ever played. Uh, um, So it definitely has its limitations, but it really does feel and sound a heck of a lot more like a real piano than any other instrument that I'd uh, come across. This was another instrument that was kind of in my life for a few years as a secondary instrument, but now it also lives at a music school in LA. Uh, Let's see, other pianos that have been in my life. Uh, Let's move on to the C2, Alan. This was another piano that Alan was involved with. This piano was at a church here in Desert Hot Springs, California, where I started a concert series. And um, they had acquired the piano for... Something like a thousand dollars or something. Mm. Uh, but as you can see, it wasn't in the best condition. Um, we, we never found out exactly what happened to this piano, but it seemed clear that it was. Uh, I didn't. It hadn't burned itself, but it clearly had been in a building where there was a fire. Um, so it was in a fire. Uh, Alan can scroll through and show you some of the photos that show the soot that was just covering everything. Oh. Um, that's a Yeah, part of the action. You know, the, the top part and, 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 that I and incidentally. And the,
3: this picture was taken when Danny removed the action, dismantled it, since he was a, a veteran piano cleaner from Cal Arts, and he's a real freak of nature. He enjoys cleaning pianos, especially cleaning around the tuning pins with the Q-tip, which you can Amazing. have it, man. But anyway, he was able to dismantle the action enough to do this work, take this picture, and wouldn't it be great, boys and girls, if all concert pianists could do that? <laughs>
2: Well, so yeah, I, I did what I could. Oh! Just, I, yeah, so there you can see, you know, how much we were able to clean the, the soundboard. Um, I did my best to assess the piano and, and then eventually was able to get Alan to come out and do a thorough assessment because we didn't want to throw money out at of a, at a piano that, um, uh, that, uh, that didn't have a future. But we, we figured out that despite how, how horrible it looked, um, that it really didn't have any serious damage. Um We did replace the, uh, Alan, you might have to remind me, we did a pretty thorough action regulation. We did replace the bass strings because the soot had just got yes, in the, the bass
3: strings the were bass toast.
2: Strings were completely, totally toast. But the hammers basically just needed to be filed and voiced. And then obviously, you know, like, like any, you know, 10, 15, 20 year old C2 that hadn't been serviced regularly, it needed some regulation work. And we probably re- replaced the keyboard, right? Uh, yeah, and in order, to clean,
3: in order to clean the, the dampers thoroughly, and also to trim the bicord and monochord felt, and we removed all the dampers, cleaned the guide rail, because, I mean, there was soot everywhere. One other interesting thing about this piano, apparently it was in a place that had burned. You can see all the soot. The action still worked. The soundboard and bridge were okay. Structurally, it seemed sound, although rebuilders will tell you, never declare a piano that's been in a fire or a flood to be sound because it could start falling to pieces five years down the road or something. And then uh, you're the individual who said that wouldn't happen. Um, but one interesting thing about this piano was as a result of being in the fire, it is the softest sounding Yamaha that I have ever walked up to You know, before working on it. And that's because the hammers were steamed, I imagine, by the water the fire department yeah. put on the fire, creating huge steam environment. So this was not a piano that required any needling. And if anything, I think Danny would like it to have even a stronger, more ballsy sound uh, than yep. than it did at that time. Of course, playing in helps that, but we, we might do some juicing down the road. It's in this piano like his upright is now in the home of one of his students. So his students have been the beneficiaries of Danny buying good pianos at good prices, servicing them well, then selling it to them at a fair price. And there, you know, that's different than buying a piano from somebody you don't know, you know, without much knowledge. So they're very fortunate for all of Danny's efforts. Yeah. Go on, Danny.
2: That C2 was an adventure. Um, But yeah, now we get to the most exciting piano, I think, uh, which is the piano I'm sitting at right now, the Schimmel K280. So obviously this, the Yamaha C6 that I bought new uh, was a, was a fine instrument, Perfectly adequate. I mean, certainly as an instrument to be practicing on at home, you know, most serious pianists would be perfectly happy with that piano. Um, but after playing it very aggressively for a solid decade, uh, or more, it it had definitely gotten to the point where, uh, on the horizon, it was going to need new hammers. And again, the full Alan Etter, uh, regulation workup and, uh, well, it's a totally sensible thing to invest in that work for that piano. It's a good instrument. Um, I, I decided to take that time to pause and reflect and think about, okay, is this the piano that I want to be playing on for the next decade or so? You know, do I want to make that commitment? Or is this maybe a time to consider an upgrade? Uh, and I decided that uh, if there was any way that I could make it work, I, I would like to really just go for it and, and get you know, not a good instrument, but a really exciting instrument that um, that I, you know, that I could have for the rest of my life. And that uh, that the next time I get to a point where I've worn out a set of hammers, it would just be a no brainer. Like, yeah, of course, I'm gonna put some new hammers on that piano. So this started a year and a half long search and um, we don't have time to tell the whole saga, but uh, suffice it to say, I started out, um, Looking at some used uh, Bosendorfer 225s, I'd always uh, loved Bosendorfers and uh, one of my former teachers had a 225 that I'd played on quite a bit. And I had always kind of thought that if I could ever get one of those pianos, I would. Um, And I also thought that, you know, going from a seven foot piano to a seven and a half foot piano would be kind of a sensible upgrade. Um, But after playing dozens, I don't know, maybe even over a hundred different pianos in four different states, I, I discovered Schimmel well, actually again you know I forgot about this it was a student a student uh, not a particularly advanced student but a student whose family had bought a very nice Schimmel uh, K I forget the size it was but it was also this the K series their concert series uh, you know very high end grand it was probably only five and a half six feet but uh, I you know I remember playing that piano in my students' lesson and thinking wow this is really an exceptional instrument and it, it's to me, it seems like kind of like a Bösendorfer and a Yamaha like mated. <laughs> uh, I love Bösendorfers, but <laughs> yes, they do yes, it have really is. That's an interesting distinction. have a yeah. The, the I love Bösendorfers, but they even the bigger ones. They do have a. There's something about the sound that's a little bit delicate, and for a lot of repertoire, that's totally fine. But you, you know having heard some of the really bombastic, aggressive repertoire that I play, I was a little nervous about having a Bosendorfer be my only piano. Um, and so the Schimmel was appealing because it had uh, this, a similar kind of complexity and nuance and um, and, and it surprised me. I, so th- those, those reactions were the same as the Bosendorfer, but it was a little bit more like uh, ballsy, like like a Yamaha. Um, so unfortunately, it, uh, uh, there aren't a lot of uh, larger Shimmels in the country. So it took me a long time to get to actually sit down and play. At first, I thought that the the two twenty. I think it's a two thirty actually, which is a little bit bigger than 30. the Bosner for two twenty five. I thought that's going to be the one, right? The two Uh, When I finally had a chance to play one though, I realized, you know, Bosendorfer just has some real magic going on in the bass there because you just, the the Schimmel K230 is is a wonderful instrument, but it cannot, the bass cannot compete with the Bosendorfer 225. So that's when I realized I just needed to go all the way and and look for a nine foot. So um, that's the very short version of the story of how I ended up with the Schimmel K280 um it's a little silly having this piano in my um you know 400 square foot music room it's it's a little more piano than i really need but uh it's a piano that like like i hoped uh it's a piano that i'm that i'm really inspired by every time i sit down and 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 i wasn't exaggerating earlier too when i said you know a piano that surprises me the first time i played not the k280 but the k230 schimmel um i i like I was playing and, uh, I think it was Mozart. And there were a couple times where I I spontaneously like yelped, like out of excitement because the piano did things that I, that I was just so excited by. And that's, that's such a treat. And, you know, kudos to Alan for not, uh, not allowing me to settle over this year and a half that I was looking at lots of different pianos. There were a bunch of times where I found like a really nice, slight, used C7, for instance, that I could get for almost nothing if I sold or traded in my C6. And, you know, the, the kind of rational part of my brain kept trying to say like, you know, you know, that'd be a really safe, sensible upgrade. And Alan, to his credit, you know, over, over many phone conversations and over, you know, meals that we shared would, would say, you know, I really don't want to see you settle. <laughs> and then I was also getting some really great feedback from one of my former teachers, the one who has the, she has a Bösendorfer 225 and two Paul McNulty forte pianos that were built for her. So she's got exceptional taste in pianos. Um, and she said, you know, the piano you practice on every day is where you really form your conception of sound. And, and, and that's really the most important thing so feedback from Alan and from Monica, that former teacher, it, it made it much easier to think about making a much bigger investment and, um, and really just going for it and getting, you know, the piano of my dreams. <laughs> um, I know we don't have a ton of time. There are a few other pianos we could discuss, including um, a Chickering 5-7 Grand and a Baldwin F, both of which um, had pretty extensive, well, the Baldwin especially had pretty extensive work done on them. Um, but Alan, do you want to chime in and maybe direct this uh, I, last I, I, uh, part of our conversation?
3: I, I just want to add about the, sh- the shimmel that uh, Danny flew to different states to try different pianos because I told him it's really important. And of course, you can't do an A-B side-by-side comparison, but, but Danny's a person of extraordinary focus. So he's able to, to remember better than most. Uh, how he felt, what he was hearing about a piano. And when he finally found the one he wanted, uh, his patients paid him great dividends again because he drove a heck of a bargain and got that piano for a fraction of what you would pay for any other major high quality concert grant. Also, there was the fact that he was at a store where he didn't know the people and that it wasn't economically feasible for me to go to Phoenix or to Houston or the places he was shopping and look at the pianos. But fortunately for us, Nick Gravagna, great soundboard maker uh, in Arizona is the person who had serviced this piano in the store. They'd used it for a couple of years for concerts. And I was able to have a long conversation and many email exchanges with Nick and find out what had been done, what hadn't been done, because I wanted to give Danny some impression of, is this piano all that it's ever gonna be? Is it most of what it's ever gonna be? That sort of thing, which is always very important. You Uh, you don't wanna buy a pig in a poke, so to speak. You want, you want to be turned on by something in its current state, and that has to be the best possible state. This oh. this image on the screen right now, just real quickly, is the chickering that Danny bought uh, for, for uh, another residence up in Washington State. And there's the inside of the piano. There's some of the action. There's a hammer from it. And uh, here is, whoops, come on, computer. Whoops, didn't do it. Awesome. Um, this is the piano after some work was done on it and Danny you want to run down the work that you had done and who did it
2: oh sure yeah yeah so this chickering was a piano that I needed I, I'm in the process of relocating and I needed a piano at the new place to hold me over until it was the right time to move the shimmel up and um, I, I found this on eBay and the, the guy who owned it we really hit it off I went to his place and we, we chatted for like a half an hour before I even saw the piano. And then I played a couple notes on the piano and right away, it was, it was apparent that it was in re- really bad shape, <laughs> really bad shape. So, um, but I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to dismiss it outright. So I asked him if he would be all right with me taking the action out and taking a look. So I was able to inspect things carefully, take some photos to send to Alan uh, for his feedback. And then I was, able to have this conversation with the owner of this piano about you know voicing regulation what all this means I was able to show him how worn down the hammers were et cetera, et cetera, and um he was so generous he because I told him I said you know look and it's in its present condition this piano just wouldn't really uh meet my needs but um it's possible that uh that with a little bit of work that it would and he said, look, you find out how much it's going to cost for you to get that work done, and we'll just subtract it from the price, my asking price, which was incredibly reasonable. So wow. he basically gave the piano to me. He, I think he sold it. That's a to Jedi
3: team. mind trick. You gotta and learn then, how to
2: do um, it. And then, I- <laughs> and then it was the um, the Fondrick and Sons uh, up in Stanwood. Uh, I was so, so honored that Daryl Fondrick did some work on this yeah, panel, yeah. along with heather and stefan in their shop there and um the what you're looking at there are the new bass strings you know this was not a complete rebuild but you know we put new bass strings on it um had the action regulated we rebushed the keys replaced the knuckles recovered the back checks Um, I might be forgetting a few other things, but the the bass strings, that was was kind of the big ticket item. And man, Daryl just knocked out of the park in terms of the scale design. Um, Even on this little piano where you would normally expect for that break to be really noticeable, you can hardly tell where the break is. So I was really, really pleased with the work they did. Um, and then I know we're basically out of time, but the the other piano that has been into my, it, that came into my life recently was a seven foot Baldwin that I ended up getting for free on Craigslist, more or less sight unseen. This is a, a photo. You can see there a, there's a broken string or two down there, and it's pretty filthy. Uh, and um, this was a situation where uh, someone had passed away. Oh yeah, those are the hammers. You can see how how devastated those hammers are. <laughs> um, this was a situation where someone. I passed away and people were there like cleaning out his things like the piano had to go and it it was to the point where it was just going to end up being taken off to the dump. So I told him I said, look, I I can't I don't I'm not able to get out to see the piano, but I know that it's a seven foot Baldwin from the late 50s. There's got to be a good piano in there, right? So, um, they were kind enough to give me the piano, I just had to pay the moving costs. I had it moved directly to Bill Shull's shop in Redlands, California, because he's uh one of the closer technicians to where I am out here in the Palm Springs area. And, um, again, I wish we had more time to discuss this, but um, we came up with a good plan. You know, I was not in a position to do, you know, to go all in and completely rebuild the piano, so we kind of came up with um, the the Biggest bang for the buck, kind of low budget rebuild. But uh, we uh, repaired some cracks in the soundboard. Uh, we uh, completely restrung the piano, new tuning pins, um, regulated the action. We uh, moved all the capstans and took some lead out of the keys to address the um, the, the messed up action ratios and the, how how heavy the the, the keys were. Um, and now it's a wonderful instrument. And, you know, honestly, I've become a big fan of Baldwin's. I feel like the, the world is obsessed with uh, Steinway and uh, these other pianos, you know, Baldwin, Kanabi, Chickering uh, from the first, uh, you know, first half, first two thirds of the, of the uh, 20th century. There were these great American pianos and I'm, I'm so happy to have this piano now. Um, and really the transformation, holy cow. When, I, when, I, when the piano was delivered to the shop and I finally had a chance to play it, I thought maybe I had made a mistake because it was really bad. <laughs> uh, but uh, Bill completely transformed it. So a uh, shout out to Bill Schull and everyone in his shop who worked on that Baldwin.
3: Uh, uh, absolutely, uh, Greg, Gregor Heller bass strings. Uh, I think it was Ronson Hammers. I, I don't remember what kind of shanks and flanges he put on there, but they. Danny and Bill sat down This is the budget we have, these are the priorities. I mean, this is everyone's reality. Oh, 99.9% of the time, cut your suit according to your cloth. How much time do you have? How much money do you have? What are the most important things? And Danny has made excellent choices with that chickering up in Washington state and with this Baldwin about what to do. And he really got an excellent value thanks to his good decision-making. I realize out of respect for everyone's time, we should draw this to a
1: close because it is new.
0: Absolutely uh pleasure
1: though amazing yeah Yeah.
0: amazing Uh, truly amazing ethan why don't you take us home brother
1: for sure and actually we have a we'll stay on for for a second but just to kind of wrap up and do something fun here um first of all check the chat Uh we put a feedback form so you can fill that out let us know what went well for you Uh, what we can improve on so we can keep bringing you great stuff. And in that there, you can also let us know, you know, other offerings we can offer you. Um, And then there's also a link we're putting in the chat uh, from uh, Piano Technician's Masterclasses. So if you're interested in signing up, if you, if you like this event, there's much, much more uh, within the Piano Technician's Masterclasses library. And you'll notice that was posted by Pooja. We've now got a team of I don't know. There's been more than eight or nine different people helping out behind the scenes. Um, so really working hard to bring this to you and just want to give a great thanks to not only Alan and Danny and David for being here, but just everyone that has been behind the scenes, uh, sometimes working completely for free to, to make this work and make it look as seamless as we can. (laughs) We know it's not perfect, but uh, we're trying to do a great job here. And with that, um, I would like to, I'll mention what's coming next. We said we're going to do a giveaway of a month free, uh, a month free access to Piano Technician's Master Classes. And we're actually going to give away two. And that was to incentivize you inviting your friends to this event. So basically, the next thing we're going to do is you're going to um, pick a random number from 1 to a 1,000. But don't do it yet. Next to that number, I want you to also write either the name of the person that invited you or if you invited yourself, just invite put the name of another person that you might like to offer that second membership to. And put my um, name. <laughs> You can put Alan's name if you want. That's cheating. I feel like there's some there's got to be some sort of. It's not applicable to you know affiliates of like whatever. But if you want to put Alan's I'm name, I'm not related can. to you either. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, put put whatever you like. So. Pick a random number, one to a thousand. I'll use a random n- number generator once we've we've accomplished uh, everyone entered their numbers. But make sure you put your number and then put the name of the person that you'd like to offer that second uh, membership to if you win. And uh, we'll just take a couple seconds to let everybody put their numbers in. And then I'll do the random number gener- generator. But in the meantime, any parting words from, uh, from Danny, from Alan, from... From David, uh, Danny, why don't you just let us know? Is there anything you have as far as parting
0: words?
2: Oh my gosh, I've talked <laughs> way too much. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, I'll jump in. This was fabulous. This is exactly what piano technicians need. Yes, to communicate with with players in a in a respectful, loving. Uh, uh, a way that you you can come to some kind of situation where you can have some understanding, man. We all need that. And next week we're going to have something great too. And I won't reveal it now, but just keep on tuning in, boys and girls, because it's I'm loving these, uh, yeah. Mr. Eder. Yeah.
3: Uh, I just want to say uh you know the reason we're here is because uh my my good brother david anderson had been talking to me about getting involved and two weeks ago when i saw owen i forget the guy's last name but he was seated at a shimmel 230 and as soon oh, no. as i thought saw that poof you know the flash of inspiration the idea for this i contacted danny and uh i, I hope it was worthwhile for everyone it was fun for us to put together danny and i as you can tell Uh, our our seasoned collaborators with each other. So uh, it was a pleasure and thank you, Ethan and David and the rest of your team for doing this. It's been really important in this time of, you know, sheltering in place. And even as things open up, it's as relevant as ever. And it's one of the great discoveries from an otherwise really shitty
1: time. (laughs) Well put. Thank Um, you.
0: All
1: right. So at this point, I'm going to say we're going to we're going to haul up the numbers. If you haven't chosen the number one, uh, one, two thousand yet, that should be sufficient time. What I'm going to do is just to make sure this is all on the up and up. I'm going to share my screen. Uh, don't look at the number that's already there in the in the number generator that I'll be sharing. Uh, but uh, I will generate one in one moment. OK, so make sure uh, we're all finished. And here we go. 995 wow interestingly high <laughs> okay so oh. basically, so basically pretty much i'm going to say it's probably the person who had the highest number that's going to be the winner so again we get to look back at your at your record here so if you voted twice we'll look back and find out you were cheating so uh just tell us uh if you think you're very close to 995 okay we've got 880 uh from Jack or anybody think they can beat 880 from Jack or
3: Somebody had eight
1: eighty eight. Somebody did. Let's see, eighteen eighty eight. I'm sorry, eighteen eighty eight does not count. <laughs> 1888.
2: Not, sorry, it's I not between.
1: Now, Tom, you can re-enter if you, um, if that was a typo on your part. But uh,
3: oh, w- William Stewart says
1: eight eight eight. Eight eight eight. William Stewart. Wow. Eight eight eight. Okay.
3: William
0: don't know if-
1: Stewart. Yeah, right, but. Congratulations, William! Awesome, William. uh, Who was your William? Who was your uh, person that you put their name of? Can you share that as well, or did you list one?
3: He wrote me.
1: That would be uh,
3: Martin (laughs) Everlast. It means something else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so William, if you know William Seward, stalk him. <laughs> Cause he basically has one free uh, William wrote Chris Bowering. Okay, great. So I'll reach out to William after this. I'll make sure you get set up uh with, with a free access for a month and you can hey. check things out, tell everybody how great it is. Um,
0: hey William, I'm all later and try to pitch my classes to you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Say that one more t- time, David, because I didn't catch the full thing you said.
0: I said uh, I'll call you a women, I'll I'll try to pitch my classes to you.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. You definitely want to check out David's classes. I have to say from the beer again, just to sign off, look look for those feedback links. Make sure you fill out the feedback forms that we have and the sign-up link that Poo is putting in the in the chat there. But um, but just on that note, David, David has been basically with piano technicians masterclasses from the very beginning. And I'm just so honored to just see someone who he, not only does he have more than 40 years of experience in the industry, but he's very interested in being at the cutting edge of what's happening. And, and it's just been an honor to be with you and to have your support, which is direly needed. And um, he's taught some great classes, but not only has he just been there, But people want in there. We get a lot of great feedback that people want to hear from David Anderson, what he has to say, what he has to teach. Um, So definitely, once you get inside, check out his classes. Um, They're some of the best that we have on record, and we very much appreciate them. Okay. I think with that, I don't know. Is there nothing else we can pretty much start to sign off? Get out of here. All right. Thank you very much, Danny. Thank you very much, Alan. We'll see you all next week. Be
0: well. Right. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Remember that you can catch us live online every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time.
1: That's right. Go to PianotechRadio.com to register so you can interact live and ask questions
0: of our guests. See you next week.